Well, good morning, everyone. It's been uh, an interesting week, I think. Quite a few notable events, strikes, troubles, wars, a failed rocket, a new book. But I would like to focus on a different event for a moment. And it happened during an evening this week. I was sat at my desk at home when my son Samuel came into me and said, Dad, guess what? I was like, yeah, what? Sounds exciting, but it might not be. Um, Saints are 1-0 up. And what's more, they're playing really well. (laughs) So that was it. Uh, We both abandoned what we were doing. We went downstairs and we put the football on and we enjoyed a spectacle that, um, well, we weren't expecting. And to be honest, though, it wasn't until the 93rd minute, when there were three minutes to go, that I thought, we might win this. (laughs) And sure enough, we did. Sure, that had a point. Uh, (laughs) But the thing is, I decided not to watch that game or even follow it. It's too painful. I was sure they would lose. I had absolutely no faith, no faith in the manager, no faith in the team, no faith from previous results. Yet they won. Perhaps they might even go on and win again in the cup. They might even avoid relegation. Well, one thing we do know from our experiences of life, you don't always get what you hope for, and your faith can be easily misplaced. And Matthew wants to communicate with his readers about Jesus. And in the account we consider today about faith, Matthew sets out his Gospels very carefully constructs where things go in a very organized way. No one can really agree on what that organization is, but it clearly is organized. Um, Not necessarily chronologically. And we follow all this teaching in the preceding chapters with some demonstrations of power and authority over the created order. Last week, we focused on a healing in very close proximity. The leper approached Jesus, and as Jez pointed out very, very closely, Jesus was able to just reach out, touch, and heal. But today, we're going to focus on a different healing, the healing of the centurion's servant. Now, I think got something here which we might want up a little bigger Um, we're going to be looking at uh, a place called Capernaum which on this map um, you can see is at the north point of the Sea of Galilee and there are some higher ground we might call them hills or mountains above it Um, so it's it's quite in keeping with this idea of Jesus coming down um, and speaking to people in Capernaum on the edge of the lake. Um, Jerusalem is, is some way to the south there, and perhaps the rest of Israel that we might be more familiar with. 
And we've also got this centurion. I looked for ages for a photo, but there wasn't one. Um, not really that I could uh, be convinced about. Um, so I've got this little model centurion. There were two types of Roman soldiers, really, broadly. Uh, legionaries, which kind of uh, defended Rome um, and were around Rome. And then there were all these auxiliaries, um, which basically made sure everything that was called Roman was Roman. They were an occupying force drawn from uh, local people who were basically paid and said, will you keep these people in order and uh, we will pay you, said the governor of Rome or the emperor of Rome. And so this was someone who had agreed, yes, I'll do that. And as a centurion, he'd have had between 80 and 100 people um, that he could call his soldiers. And they were the boots on the ground to make sure that what Rome wanted in terms of taxes and order and the way things were done uh, were accomplished. This particular centurion, though, Luke gives us a little more insight. He was quite well regarded by the Jewish community. The elders, the leaders, had a good relationship with this guy because he loved the Jewish people and he'd paid for a synagogue. So he was a leader, a leader of people. We're also thinking today about Louise and Jez as our leaders here at Portswood. And much like the centurion, look to the emperor, they will know and be looking to not their own authority, but that of God to enable them to carry out their service. They will need to be people of faith. Let's read this account in Matthew chapter 8. If you are using one of these... Uh, it's on page 972. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself... I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, I'm hoping, can we get the next... Uh, Okay, that's all right. Should just say faith, I think. I've got to tell you about my chair. I bought this probably around 33 zero years ago now. They don't make them like this anymore. It's outlasted quite a few. But it's a good fishing chair. I used it for fishing. Uh, I've used it for camping. It's been to New Wine. Those of you who've been to New Wine might even recognize it. And um, frankly, for the last five or six years, I've been saying this is its last year. It's going to go at some point now. But it's still here. And this one. You know and sit on this chair or this type of chair every week. So if I said to you now, in front of all these people, come up and take a seat, where would you place your faith? <laughs> well, if it was me, and I know this chair, I would still sit on this one, really. <laughs> um, when I sit on this one, uh, I, I, I'm ready for it to collapse. I really don't trust it, but I feel I shouldn't throw it away until it does actually give up. Now, have we got the... So we're talking about faith. The centurion has faith in Jesus. And he demonstrates that first in the actual act of approaching Jesus. Then, in what he says, he knows that Jesus need only give the word. He recognizes where the power comes from, directly from God, who is not constrained by a physical presence. The centurion believes, he trusts, he places his faith in Jesus. What can be expected when we place our faith in Jesus? Well, in a word, mercy. Not a measured, limited amount, for he does not have mercy to kind of give out. He is merciful. He can cover it, even for a Roman centurion. Jesus commends him for his faith. And we could, as the NIV does, actually title this passage about the faith of the centurion and not about the miraculous healing of the servant. But the centurion does recognize he doesn't really deserve this. He's a humble leader. And again, today, I think we have commissioned this morning two humble leaders. They, like the centurion, 
recognize authority, the authority, a higher authority. And the centurion here has first-hand experience of this. He has great power to keep order, extract taxes, quell problems, command his men. But he recognizes that it's a power not from him, but from Rome, from the emperor. And that's how he sees Jesus. But as a source of power, Jesus has authority over disease. And there isn't a higher authority than Jesus. Matthew's gospel, perhaps even more so than the others, seeks to point out and assure readers that Jesus is not just a Jewish saviour for the Jews. He's God's saviour for all mankind. And in verses 10 to 12, Matthew records Jesus clearly explaining that just like this Gentile centurion, this outsider, serving with a force that's actually occupying the Jewish nation's land, faith in him is well-placed and will be commended. Jesus is not just for a particular group of people. Jesus is not just for the Jews, just for the educated, just for the wealthy, just for the poor, just for, well, you name it. Were the bystanders surprised here at Jesus' willingness to commend this man's faith and heal his servant? Quite possibly. Although, as mentioned before, he is described in Luke's gospel as a man who loved Israel and even paid for this synagogue. But that's not what he gets commended for. That doesn't make him feel deserving. It's his faith that is commended. That's what sees him included accepted, undeserving as he appears to himself and to others. His faith, not his love of the people or provision of the synagogue. Well, at the end of this passage, we see that this faith, authority, and inclusivity turns into... I have to apologize. I did try and find a better use of tea. But um, I thought in the end, you'll like this one because it's a very short point. But it turns into healing. The healing, well, is hugely significant. Even though it's just a short verse. It's the culmination Without it, there is actually no story. Someone asks Jesus to be healed. Um, he says that uh, you're healed, great faith, and then he doesn't get healed. Is that a story? 
actually we might have a story like that. So maybe it is about the faith. But the healing still is significant in this context. And Matthew is making this the point. Jesus demonstrates his authority. Without it, the faith of the centurion, however great that faith is, is totally misplaced. There's no effect or implication for us either. We're in a different time and a different place. But the authority here is still demonstrated. The servant is healed. And it's obvious how that changes and in a sense completes the story for the centurion. But does it really have any meaning for us? When it comes to faith, we do have a choice. Where will we place ours? Not just for healing, but for all aspects of our lives. Provision, security, and ultimately, our eternal destination. I can see three choices for where to place our faith. You might see more, but I can see three. Ourselves, other people, or God. The centurion knows he cannot heal. He also knows that it's outside the emperor's power. So he places his faith in God, in Jesus Christ. Where do we place ours? Ourselves, other people, or God? Well, perhaps this is uh, reading too much into one event. It's a short passage, although it's not as short as Jess had last week. Um, maybe uh, it's just too much. Well, let's turn to John chapter 3. Perhaps um, some of the most famous verses or well-known verses in the Bible as a whole. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's on page 1066. Um, rather fittingly, uh, in this particular Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus does have a greater mission than saving a centurion's servant. Here it is. But it is encapsulated in this event. Jesus has the authority and the power. We are undeserving, but that does not matter if we have faith. Belief that leads us to act. So faith you can think of as belief that leads you 
to act. If we have that, then we will gain the benefit. We place our faith in Jesus for our healing from sin, from being rescued from evil, and being saved from a position described by Matthew as in darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we continue to express this faith as we walk with Jesus, looking to him as the source of any power and authority, which might be delegated to us. No doubt Louise and Jez will look to walk in this way as they serve here at Portswood. They know full well that much, if not all, that is required of them in this role is beyond their own authority and power. They may even think they're undeserving of this role. And yet, they've stepped up and said, we will do it. I think that's a demonstration of faith. Faith that God will walk with them. Faith that God will save them. Faith that God will intervene and heal the undeserving. Faith that God will draw in and minister to that unlikely outsider. Perhaps you have felt undeserving or felt like an outsider. Too far from God for him to rescue you. Too far from God for him to use you in his service. But I think from this story it would seem we're actually in error if we think we need to get ourselves into a certain place or position or circumstance before we go to meet Jesus. It's humble faith in Jesus that's needed, not sorting ourselves out first. So we must come broken, ready to be fixed. Not having patched ourselves up ready to be commended. So the question perhaps remains, where do you place your faith? And even an atheist must have faith. Faith in their conclusion that in looking at all the evidence, there is no God. An agnostic must still have faith. Faith that even though they cannot decide if God exists or not, that in the end, things will be okay. Do you trust yourself, knowing you have the power and authority over these things? Or perhaps you choose other people and look to them, knowing that they will sort everything out. Or do you, like the centurion, place your faith in Jesus, recognizing that he has the power and authority and accepting the favor, the rescue, and the benefits from him? Faith in Jesus will make us look beyond ourselves, beyond others, and what we 
or they are able to do. It will lead us to trust him in suffering. It will give us hope and experiences of joy and enable us to live in peace. So perhaps Matthew is really simply just saying to his readers here, have faith in Jesus. Let's spend a a little bit of time in quiet as we consider some of these things and think towards communion.